0: Well, welcome to Grace Bible Church Gainesville, service February 4th, 2024. And again, it's an honor to be able to share God's Word with you all today as Pastor Brannon, as I said, is away preaching in Arkansas. And so today, we're going to take a break from his series on he's doing what is the church. We'll move back into the Psalms as we're walking through the Psalms. It seems like a long time ago as we began to walk through Psalm 22. I think it was about eight weeks ago we started that. We went through verses 1-5 through and we were just able to dip our feet into this amazing psalm. And the title of the messages in Psalm 22 is The Glory of the Cross, Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3. Some of you may be wondering, that's a strange title for a psalm of David. After all, David wasn't around when Jesus went to the cross. In fact, death by crucifixion wasn't even invented yet in David's lifetime. So David couldn't understand this kind of death. So why are all these messages in Psalm 22 entitled, The Glory of the Cross? Well, it's because Psalm 22 is an amazing prophetic look at the crucifixion of our Lord. It's an outstanding, astonishing fact that David wrote Psalm 22 some thousand years before our Lord Jesus went to the cross, and he really didn't understand just how prophetic his words, his words which were guided by the Holy Spirit, were until our Lord Jesus cried out on the cross, until he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's at that moment when Psalm 22 comes into focus, and everything that David was guided to write allows us not only to see our Lord Jesus on the cross, but because of this psalm, we also get to see into what our Lord Jesus was actually thinking as he was on the cross. We get to read what he was thinking. But how can that be, you ask? This was written by David a thousand years before it happened. Well, that's correct, but this is what the Holy Spirit was doing as he guided David. So here we have David writing about something extremely painful and agonizing going on in his life. We know that David did suffer. We know that he agonized in his life, but what he writes about here is something different. This suffering and agony is really off the scale. Again, it's not until we look at the cross and we hold up Psalm 22 next to it does it all make sense. Again, this is why our Lord Jesus cries out in verse 1, he cries out on the cross, my God, my God. It's then that the words of David wrote down are literally, literally fulfilled in the crucifixion. Psalm 22 is an amazing prophetic psalm. And so last time we went through part one of the glory of the cross. And we saw these two truths in verses 1 through 5. First we saw the condition of the man's suffering. This man who's suffering, he's in agony and he feels all alone. He feels abandoned by man and his heavenly father. And then, second, we saw that the conviction of this man suffering, that through it all, he still trusts in his God, even though everything that's going on around him is horrible. <laughs> So we have these, these two repeating parts in Psalm 22. There's a prayer for help, and then there's a song of praise. There's a prayer of help, and then there's a song of praise. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to see. A prayer for help and a song of praise. So even through all of this horribleness, the, the physical suffering on the cross, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and God the Father's wrath just being poured out unto His Son, and, and, and humanity all but abandoning Him, But our Lord Jesus has not lost hope. No, he still has total faith and confidence in his heavenly Father. And so he sings his praises. And so today we'll walk through verses 6 through 21. And as we do, we're going to see four more truths. As David writes this amazing psalm, and so if you're not there already, you can please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 22. Again, Psalm 22 is written by David as he was struggling with a trial in his life, but through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, this psalm has a double fulfillment. Because when we match this psalm up against something that happened in David's life, there's some similarity there, but nothing really fits it well. But when our Lord Jesus cries out, when he yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This psalm takes us not only to the cross, but again, lets us see inside the mind of our Lord as he's as he's carrying our sins in his his father's wrath upon his shoulders. And so the hermeneutics, in the historical grammatical grammatical way, it's, its limited fulfillment is related to what's happening to David. And its fullest fulfillment is for the future, referring to Christ. This is Psalm 22. So let's read verses one through twenty-one today, and then we'll look at verses six through twenty-one. So Psalm twenty-two, and God's word reads, For the choir director, according to Agatha, Hashahar, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my salvation are the words of my groaning. O oh my God, I call by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you rescued them. To you they cried out and were granted escape. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They smack their lip. They wag their heads saying, Commit yourself to Yahweh. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him. Because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me out of the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me. For distress is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a lion that tears and roars. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Yahweh, be not far off. O my strength, hasten to my help. Deliver my soul from the sword. My only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. And then ends the reading of God's holy word. And let's go to the Lord. And pray for our time in in the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing psalm and for our Lord Jesus, our our suffering servant. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this again, this amazing psalm that through the heart and mind of David, we can see the, the fullness of the majesty of this redemptive work that our Lord Jesus did as the suffering servant. Father, we ask that this psalm will help us love and adore our Lord Jesus even more. And Father, I pray that Your Spirit will be our teacher today and please preach a better message than I have prepared and have the Spirit use me as an instrument for Your glory. And we ask, Father, all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 22. And I do love how the Holy Spirit works because again, today is Communion Sunday. And it's hard to think of a better way to get our hearts and minds right for the Lord's Supper than looking at this amazing Psalm, Psalm 22. We do the Lord's Supper to remember the sacrifice that He made for us. He took the punishment we deserved. And again, David writing Psalm 22 Remember the Apostle Peter in Acts 2.29, he called David a prophet. We don't really think of David as a prophet. We, we think of him as a shepherd, as a musician, as a warrior, as a king. He's a man after God's own heart. But David, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, did write a lot of prophecy about our Lord Jesus. And so did David understand everything he was writing Well, probably not, but he trusted the Holy Spirit that someday everything he would write would become clear, that Messiah will make all things understandable. And most of what David wrote was about himself and his struggles, but again, Psalm 22 is the most out of place because it doesn't fit David's life. But again, there's a good reason, because it comes into focus when we see our Lord on the cross. Again, as we see, it's limited fulfillment is related to what's happening to David at the time he wrote it, but its fullest fulfillment is still future when our Lord Jesus hangs on the cross. And so again, last time in verses 1 through 5, we saw these two truths. We saw the condition of the man suffering, and his condition is he's in agony, and he feels all alone. He feels abandoned by man and God. And he's bearing the burden of the separation from God. And for the first time and only time, there's a disorientation going on with him here. He and his father. And so he prays for help. And then second, we saw the conviction of this man suffering. David's remembering all the times through the history that Yahweh has taken care of his people. Again, Psalm 22 begins with this double meaning here. This is David experiencing a trial in his life But now as it moves deeper into the psalm, it changes to a future event. So as the psalm begins, we have David asking Yahweh God, why have you forsaken me? But then we move into the future. And now we have the son asking his father, God the Father, why have you forsaken me? And what we are seeing here is both David and the son is praising God for what is happening and it's all happening because of God's holiness. And there's, there's not a smidge of any wonder about whether God is merciful. Even though it sounds like it, right? They, they're crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it, there, it isn't a question of why God is letting this happen. Why would he have it happen? Because notice, it's a personal relationship. It's my God. My God. And so last time, what we saw was David and our Lord Jesus as they are suffering, They never lose confidence in the character of God. And so today we're going to look at four more truths in Psalm 22. And first, we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. We're going to see a people's conduct. The people's conduct. And then second, in verses 9 and 10, we're going to see, again, this man's confidence. This man's confidence. And then third, in verses 11 through 18, we're going to see this man's crisis. This man is in a crisis. And then fourth, as we look at verses 19 through 21, we go right back. We see this man's certainty. This man's certainty. So as we walk through this section, this this prayer of David, we're going to see the conduct of the people. How are they responding to this man in trouble? And through all of that, we see the confidence of this man that he will not be shaken even as we see him in a horrendous crisis. And even then, as we see this man's certainty, that, that his father will take care of him. And here we have David. He's giving us this up-close, this personal view of our Lord Jesus' gracious sacrifice, his suffering, and his praise that just comes flowing from the cross. David's allowing us to see what our Lord Jesus was thinking as he hung on the cross. So was our Lord Jesus... is is, is taking the punishment that was meant for us. This is what's going on in his mind. But again, we ask the question, how can we be so sure of this, that this is true? Well, remember, it was our Lord Jesus himself who by crying out those heartbreaking words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that on purpose. He did that to fulfill Psalm 22. What David wrote here has a limited fulfillment and what went on in his life. But again, for Psalm 22, its fullest fulfillment is found when we place it next to the cross in Jesus Christ. And so let's dive in today. Let's walk through verses 6 through 21. First truth, the conduct of the people. Verses 6 through 8, the conduct of the people. How do the people who are standing around watching this this horrible death treat our Lord? We'll look at verse 6. It says, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. So as we look at our Lord Jesus hanging on the cross, remember He's totally innocent, but alone with our sin. And if if that weren't enough, He's also hated. He's unwanted. He's mocked. It's interesting that the word worm here used in verse 6. But I am a worm, and not a man. It's interesting because the Hebrew word for worm is toloth. Toloth. We find the same word used in Exodus chapter twenty-five and verse four. In Exodus twenty-five four. But there is interesting because it's translated as scarlet. Back in Exodus twenty-five four, it says talks about color, blue purple, and toloth, which is scarlet, speaking about a color. But here in Psalm 22, Toleth is translated as worm. But then you look at, up again at Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, and it's translated again as crimson, which means red or scarlet. So what's going on here? Why would the same Hebrew word for worm in one place be worm and then scarlet in another? Well, after digging around a little bit, I found that back in Israel's history, there was a little worm called the Crimson Worm. And it was called the Crimson Worm because when it was crushed, when its little life was crushed out, out of it came a thick scarlet colored fluid, which was then diffused and used as a dye. And so it, it got the name the Crimson Worm because it would leak this crimson or reddish fluid And so when it says here in verse 6, I am like a worm, in a way, that's what our Lord Jesus did when He bled on the cross. And when it says, I am like a worm, a worm is pretty low. In fact, a worm is hardly noticed. So He says, I am a worm, not a man. And then in verse 6 it says, a reproach of men and despised by the people. This word reproach or It may be translated in in your Bible as scorned. This is the opposite of to praise or to glorify. To be a reproach means to shame, to reject, to rebuke. And we can see this shame in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 27, in verse 38, it says, At that time, two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right and one on the left. And this wasn't by accident. This was done on purpose by those in charge, because here's the sinless Son of God, who is completely innocent, but he's being punished and crucified in between two guilty robbers, so we can see the disrespect that's going on to the Son of God. And so in Psalm 22, our Lord Jesus doesn't feel like a man, he feels more like a worm. They're treating him like someone, the way someone would treat a worm, He's despised, he's scorned. And what else? Well, look at verse 7. It says, All who see me mock me, they smack their lip, they wag their head. So it wasn't enough that they railroaded our Lord Jesus to the cross. They they had no evidence against him. They had no evidence against him to put him to death. So they, they had to quickly railroad him through these six fake trials. Even Pontius Pilate found him innocent, but even after all that, you would think that there might be a little consideration or thoughtfulness for our Lord. But what will they do? Well, they mock him as he dies, and not just under their breath. No, this mocking is like yelling. They're yelling like at a football game. It says in the Hebrew, they smack their lip, and and this gives the meaning of the, of their, they're like shouting out their lip, And so this shouting the lip is used sometimes to speak of opening the mouth wide to scream, uh, to shout. So they're screaming, they're shouting, they're mocking insults. They smack their lip, they wag their head saying, and what are they saying? Look at verse 8. Commit yourself to Yahweh. Let Him rescue Him. Let, Let Him deliver Him because He delights in Him. Here's these amazing prophetic parts of Psalm 22 you want to put your finger here in Psalm 22 and flip over to Matthew chapter 27 and verses 39 through 43. Matthew 27, 39 through 43. This is so amazing to see something that was written a thousand years before the crucifixion, but tells us what will happen. Matthew 27 and verses 39 through 43. We actually see Psalm 22 Verses 6-8 through literally happen. So as our Lord Jesus is hanging on the cross, again, He was hung between two guilty robbers, just, just so His followers, in case there's any doubt, to show His followers that our Lord Jesus belongs up there. Even though He doesn't, because He is dying for another reason. We know that. But they're trying to show that He's worthy of this kind of death, even though He wasn't between two guilty criminals, so he must be guilty too. But look what it says in Matthew 27 and verse 39. As he's hanging there, it says, and those, passing, and those passing by were blaspheming him, shaking their heads, and saying, you who are going to destroy the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Our Lord Jesus said this in John Chapter 2 and verse 19, remember when he said, destroy this sanctuary, and in three days I will raise it up. And then in Matthew 27, verse 40, it finishes with, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Here we see the shouting of the lip. They're opening up their mouth wide to scream. They're shouting, they're sneering insults. They're wagging their heads as they shout insults at him. So as he hangs on the cross, and so there's there's this mocking, these these insults are being screamed at him. And remember in Psalm 22, verse 8, again, it says, remember in Psalm 22, verse 8, it says, commit yourself to Yahweh, let him rescue him, let him deliver him because he delights in him. Now look at Matthew 27 and verses 41 through 43. Again, we see verse 8 of Psalm 22, literally fulfilled. Matthew 27:41 says in the same way the chief priests also along with the scribes and elders were mocking him and saying he saved others he cannot save himself he is the king of Israel let him now come down from the from the cross and we will believe in him Jesus himself said before he went to the cross he said in Matthew 26:51 that he could have he could have called on a legion of angels To defend him at that point. But he refused. And then in Matthew 27 and verse 43. Here's verse 8 of Psalm 22. Listen to what the chief priests and scribes. And the leader shouted at him in verse 43. They shout, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. So what they're saying is... (laughs) They're saying, hey, if you trust in God so much, let, let God get him, out of, get him off the cross. Let God get him out of this mess. The chief priests and the scribes and the leaders were so full of pride, they're thinking, you see, we did the right thing. Because if he was from God, God would save him. But they had that false understanding that they were special. They thought because they kept the law. And that meant that they were always Right. They knew the law. They studied it. And so they knew the prophecies of the coming Messiah. But here they were standing and mocking the one they were waiting for. Again, how amazing is this psalm? Is this David, again, wrote this a thousand years before it even happened. And it happened just as he wrote. And so the first truth here in Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8, we saw the conduct of the people and the conduct of the people is awful because they mock and ridicule an innocent man hanging on the cross our lord jesus hung on the cross suffering unimaginable physical suffering pain but also he's suffering the wrath of his heavenly father and he's alone and he's suffering and he and he's suffering the mocking and ridicule from the people but now second we see the confidence of this man on the cross Verses 9 and 10. The confidence of this man on the cross. Again, look at the trust that he has in his father and the confidence. Look at verse 9. Yet, yet you are he who brought me out of the womb. So as our Lord Jesus is on the cross, he's thinking, Father, it was you that brought me into this. This is why I came. This was the father's plan before the foundation of the world. He is the last sacrifice. Our Lord Jesus was born the sinless Lamb of God. Our Lord Jesus was born to die for our sins. And the reason we can be saved. Why? Why did He have to be the one to end all sacrifices? Why is He the only way of salvation? Well, because every aspect of salvation is born out of the purpose and the will and the plan of God so that when it is accomplished, it may be solely and only to the praise and the glory of God. How did our Lord Jesus redeem us? Well, it's through His blood. He paid the price. The wages of sin is death. The price of redemption is death. The price of redemption is shed blood. So the Father's plan, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, In Hebrews 10, 5, it says, therefore, when he, that's our Lord Jesus, comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So why were sacrifices and offerings not something God the Father desired? Because the blood of sacrificial animals cannot take away sin. So all animal sacrifices could not please God. But God the Father had a plan to take care of sin once and for all. And He prepared a body for His Son, the sinless land of God. So even after all those thousands and thousands and thousands of offerings and sacrifices that Israel's did through the years, all the rituals of a thousands a and thousands years, God did not desire that. No, because God is, is interested in the heart. He's not interested in rituals. It's the heart that God desires to change, and sacrifices did nothing to change the heart. And God doesn't delight in external acts or rituals of worship. No, He looks at our heart, He looks at our attitude, at our motivation, and what's behind the act. And so we all praise God because He sent the Lamb of God, and His body puts an end, the need for any and all animal sacrifices but a body you have prepared for me. And this word prepared, it has the idea of equipping something or preparing for a future use. And so this is telling us here is that God formed the human body of His Son with the same mighty power and wisdom with which He formed the universe. Here's what, Starle, here's what Charles Spurgeon once said about this. The whole he said the whole body of Christ was prepared for him and for his great work. To begin with, it was a sinless body without taint of original sin, else God could not have dealt in it. It was a body made highly vital and sensitive, probably far beyond what ours are, for sin has a blunting and hardening effect even upon flesh. And his flesh even though it was in the likeness of sinful flesh, was not sinful flesh. That's what Charles Spurgeon once said about Christ's body. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. Our Lord Jesus was born into a sinless body, and he never sinned. It's it's impossible for us to comprehend that because that's all we've ever known. We come out of the womb as sinners. And what this also shows us is that this was something that God the Father has planned out ages ago And so as our Lord Jesus is dying on the cross, he's saying, Father, you brought me into this. You made me for this. God the Father, it was you that prepared a body for me. And now in the midst of all of this, have you left me alone? No. This whole thing was your plan. I have all my hope in you. And now I'm alone, but I trust you. And look at the rest of verse 9. It says, you you made me trust upon my mother's breast. So from the earliest beginning of his life, our Lord Jesus, fully man and fully God, trusts completely in his Father. And our Lord Jesus came into the world like every other baby born. He was helpless. He trusted completely in his heavenly Father to give him a loving earthly mother and father who would take care of him as he grew up. And then verse 10, Upon you I was cast from birth, and you have been my God from my mother's womb. Our Lord Jesus' was, birth was, was one of a kind. The virgin birth was, was an amazing way in how our Lord Jesus entered the human world and became flesh and He dwelt among us. Every part of God the Father's plan of redemption was fulfilled perfectly. So we can see this, this certainty, this, this trust in His Father. And so the first truth, again, we saw the conduct of the people. Right, They're, they're mocking, they're ridiculing. There's this abandonment, this rejection. And then we just looked at the second truth. Through all this awful conduct of the people, we see a confidence of this man. Our Lord Jesus never doubts. He trusts in His Father completely. <laughs> and now we go to the third truth. As we look at verses 11-18, through 18, we're going to see a crisis of this man. This is a crisis for this man. And just how serious is this crisis? Well, this man is in some serious distress. Look at verse 11. Be not far from me, for distress is near, for there is none to help. You know, as we look at the cross, as we see the seconds tick by, each second the pain increases and the difficulty in breathing intensifies. And as we read Psalm 22, we can see this stress level increasing. It says, distress is near. The pain is intensifying. But again, for our Lord, even even the harder than the physical pain was the separation. The abandonment from His Father. That was going on at this moment. And as the Father is pouring out His wrath on His Son. And then we come to this odd verse in verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls have encircled me. It's a very interesting verse because there were no bulls at the crucifixion. (laughs) So just what is David talking about here? Well, if we look closer at verses 12 and 13, we begin to see evil forces at work. Many commentators believe that verses 12 and 13 are talking about demonic forces. Remember, while he was on the cross, darkness covered the land from noon to 3 p.m. And again, there is no mention of bulls or lions present at the cross. But it's very interesting that David uses the phrase, strong bulls of Bashan. The word Bashan is the key here because the region of Bashan had a very occultic, denomic history to it. In fact, the people from that region had a history of worshiping, denomic spirits associated with Baal, who they thought lived within cattle. When we look at verse 13, they open wide their mouth at me as a lion tears and roars. You know it's interesting, First Peter 5:8, Satan is described as a roaring lion, seeking those he may devour. And so we have these dynamic forces that are doing everything they can to put an end to our Lord Jesus' existence. They can't wait for his death. They think they've won. And so here we have our Lord Jesus. He's he's dealing with the fact that he was up all night, going from trial to trial. He's dealing with the fact that he was brutally beaten just a few hours ago. He's dealing with a crown of thorns that were pushed into his skull. Now he's dealing with physical pain, agony of the cross. And he's dealing with the mental stress of just trying to breathe. He's dealing with the separation and the pouring out of his father's wrath. And he's dealing with humanity, ridiculing and mocking him. And he's dealing with dynamic forces, the dynamic world taunting him, trying to end him. Everywhere our Lord Jesus turns, it's anguish, it's distress, it's hardship, it's misery. Why would he do this? I remember what he said in John chapter 10. Our Lord said, for this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but from myself, I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. We know it wasn't the nails that held our Lord Jesus on the cross. It was his love of his Father in, in us that's what held him up there and now we come to verse 14 look at verse 14 he says i am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint my heart is like wax it is melted within me this this is an amazing description of crucifixion because when someone was nailed to a cross and then when the cross was erected upright there would be a tremendous strain on the wrists, arms, and shoulders. Most often, it would result in the dislocation of the shoulder or elbow joints. And because with the arms being held out outright, that held the rib cage in a fixed end like you just breathed out, which made it extremely difficult to exhale and impossible to take a full breath the victim would only be able to take very short, shallow breaths. So in order to breathe, the victim would have to pull himself up with all of his strength to get a breath. And after, after a time, the strength would be gone. And the victim would suffocate to death. Remember, crucifixion was invented by the Persians, but perfected by the Romans. That's the most horrible way to die. So the average time it took to die on the cross was two to three days. Again, crucifixion was perfected by the Romans to cause maximum pain. Pain and suffering over a period of time. It was done to strike fear in people because no one wanted to die a death like this. And it would take an amazing man to do it willingly. Again, David's writing about something that wasn't even invented yet. He says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like, like wax, and it melted within me. And then verse 15, my strength is dried up like potsher. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. So having suffered severe blood loss... From the numerous beatings, most likely in a dehydrated state, our Lord Jesus in one of his final statements, we see that in John 19, he said, I thirst. And he was offered two drinks on the cross. The first, which he refused, was, was a drugged wine. It was mixed with myrrh. And he refused a drugged one because he chose to face death without a clouded mind. And then verse 16, For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. You know, dogs at this time were not the friendly domesticated animals that we know today. Back then they were wild. They were savage scavengers. So here we see again these evil, wicked men. They're crucifying him. They're calling out. They're mocking him. Remember, they spat on him. They, they crushed the thorns in his head. They mocked him, they beat him, they blindfolded him. How did David write this a thousand years before it happened? Well, the power of the Holy Spirit is giving him a picture centuries before it happened. And the amazing last part of verse 16, just amazing. They pierced my hands and my feet. Exactly what happened on the cross. And then verse 17, I count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. So in other words, our Lord Jesus, with his head slumping down, after a while, he's, it's so hard for him to lift it up again. He sees nothing but his bones. So there he is. There he is. He's naked in front of this, this mocking mob of humanity who stare at him. He's exposed to them. And then in verse 18, they divide my garments among me among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Again, David writing this a thousand years before it happened. And verse 18 is exactly what the Roman soldiers did. I don't think, they, they, they didn't know this prophecy, but they fulfilled it. They gambled for his cloak. And you know, back in those days, the outer cloak was a very precious thing. And so this shows the mentality of these Roman soldiers because to watch somebody hang on a cross, bleeding and dying, and have nothing better to do than to gamble (laughs) to see who gets his coat, you cannot imagine the level of insensitivity. And so here in Psalm 22, we see this man is in a real crisis. He's suffering. He is alone. And so again, first we saw the people's conduct... Second, we saw the man's confidence. Third, we just looked at this man's crisis. And now, fourth, we go back and we will see this man's certainty again. Verses 19 through 21. Are you seeing the pattern here? Seeing the pattern that's going on. There's a prayer for help and then the praise of his father. There's the hardship, but then there's the absolute trust in the father, the certainty in his father. Verse 19, but you, O Yahweh, be not far off. O my strength, hasten to my help. And then verse 20, deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. What he's doing here is he's committing himself over to God and committing himself over to the care of God and saying, you're the only one who can help me here. Father, you're the only one. And then finally, verse 21, it says, Save me from the mouth of the lion and from the thorns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. This you have answered me is is a really key verse. So we see the Father silent must have been broken at that point. There must have been something in the heart of our Lord Jesus that knew that God had heard and all was well. And we can see this acted out as our Lord Jesus was about to breathe his last breath. He said in Luke 23, 43, sorry, Luke 23, 46. He said in Luke 23, 46, and Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. He hands himself over to God in complete act of trust as he breathed his last there is a spirit of confidence that God will hear his prayer. In fact, God has heard his prayer, and he will not abandon him forever to this suffering, despite what it looks like to us as he hung on the cross. So We have the people's conduct, the man's confidence, the man's crisis, the man's certainty. So as we conclude, what David wrote here some thousand years before our Lord Jesus went to the cross, again, has that limited fulfillment in what went on in David's life. But for Psalm 22, its fullest fulfillment is found when we place it next to the cross and our Lord Jesus Christ. And what David wrote was allowing us to see what our Lord Jesus was thinking as he suffered and took our sin and unpunishment meant for us. And through all of that, we see the confidence of this man That he will not be shaken, even though we see him in a horrendous crisis. And even then, we see the man's certainty, that the Father will take care of him. And this is what the Holy Spirit wanted us to see today. He wanted us to see the trust and the faith that when this man is going through all of this, he's still singing his Father's praises. He knows his Father is in control. And so next time, we're going to finish up this amazing psalm with part three of the glory of the cross. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this psalm, Psalm 22. Father, we get to see what Your Son did for us. We get to see Your plan that You had before the world began come true. We also get to see your son's confident and absolute trust in you. No matter what, he would not be shaken. We ask you to help us be more like him in every way. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.